Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Magnolia Beef and Seminary has top quality beef products that are raised right here in Mississippi. They also have fantastic gifts for every age. For the best beef in Mississippi and so much more, visit Magnolia Beef and Seminary or find us on Facebook. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Morning to you. How you doing, Dave Hughes? On a Tuesday morning, sitting in the big chair, my still mostly freshly shorn buddy Rhino over in the booth. How you doing, man? Howdy, howdy. It is the one time every year when I can feel a little self-assurance that I'm going to have more hair than you do. At it, least on the chinny chin chin. Is is that? Oh yeah, rub it in. Go ahead. You immediately come back with the jab. I see how this is going to go. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I got a lot more on my chin, so that's oh, okay. Yeah. But you know what? You lost it for a good cause, as always, with the Palmer Home for Children Radiothon, raising a ton of money for those kids. That was fantastic. Something like. $367,000 of your generosity going to the kids at Palmer Home? It was so much, we literally at one point lost count. It, there, there was too much coming in too quickly. That That's impressive. So great job because, again, and I know everybody else said this, but I want to take the opportunity here to say it as well. We don't do anything but show up and get free haircuts. It's you that's doing the work. It's you that's making the difference in those kids' lives. So thank you for that very much. How you been doing, man? Oh, not too bad. I'm a, a little proud of myself because I went to the grocery store yesterday to get some more cat food and some other odds and ends. And I walked away with a kind of swanky Keurig for about 30 bucks. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's not it, bad. It, it had been marked down at the Wally World, and I looked on the sticker. It got marked down middle of last month, and it was still on the shelf. Okay, that's weird. It was weird. Did you have that moment where you said, okay, what's wrong with it? I did. I, I, I inspected the package profusely. I was like, wait a second. Is it, okay, it looks like it hadn't been opened. And it was kind of stuck back in the back it was the big yellow clearance sticker that caught my eye so maybe it was something somebody had marked down and hid and just never and came out yeah awesome hey winner of the easter egg hunt gets the eggs so that's so the way it works well caffeinated this morning very nice very nice indeed had to break it in uh you know we we've got a good show we've got gary mcginnis coming up next hour at 12 noon my buddy douglas carswell is going to be here he wrote a fantastic piece. I don't know if you saw this. Comparing the economy of Mississippi, just the state, to the economy of England, and we're winning. Not by a little bit. We're, we're, we're winning. Uh, so it's a great topic. I can't wait to get Douglas in here and talk about that in the 12 o'clock hour. Since you and I talked last, let's see. Uh, 
We've had testimony under oath before Congress that UFOs are real, aliens exist, and they're probably going to come and steal your sheep or something. I don't know. I dozed off halfway through, but it's something along the those lines. The word biologics got used a whole lot. Yeah, that could mean there was a bug. I mean, it, that, that's biologic. So there, there was a lot of nitpicky word choice in the whole thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited about it because we're actually finally starting to see some traction on this. It just shows how little trust the average person has in the government when the government comes out and says, look, UFOs and aliens, and the average person goes, yeah, right. And that's been the general reaction I've seen, which is, and what's your point? Rent's still high. Can't afford my groceries. Yay, I guess. Chicken wings are about double what they were the last time I had a clean enough face to be able to eat them. Now, there is the national challenge right there. Chicken wings. Why don't we have a chicken wing index? Does that exist? It should exist. It needs to. If it doesn't, we a little something for your free time. Just slap together the official Rhino chicken wing index. It could explode into something huge. Just informing everyone's investment choices. I like that. That's the, uh, yes, Dan, that's why I couldn't do my show this morning, because I had to do my show this morning. <sighs> my show got in the way of the show. That's the way it works. How you doing, Dan? Good to see you. Um, speaking of which, speaking of that show, uh, in the next segment, I want to get into this, because there's something that I started doing last year. That I'm doing again this year, and that's tracking every day high temperatures against the records for that date in the same location. Because we hear all the time, you know, we're, we're, we're dying. I don't know if you heard. You may not have gotten the, the memo, but you, you are currently burning to a crisp. Do you, do you smell the smoke? That's you. You're smoldering, smoldering. And it's all because you drive a car. So, I decided, you know what, let's start tracking the actual information. Because we had that thing a couple of weeks ago where we had the headlines that were everywhere. It was the hottest day, and then it turned into the hottest week in recorded history. And then you dug down into it, and it turned out recorded history went back to 1979, and they were going by forecast high temperatures, not the actual measurements. So it was useless in two ways. You, you, you got to have a little variety in your uselessness, I guess. So last year, before all of that started, I started tracking the real numbers. want to get into that, and we'll talk about yesterday specifically uh, when we get there as well. Uh, we got to get back to the UFOs at some point here. The other thing, and I, I want to make sure that uh, we spend some time on this, the whole thing with yellow trucking collapsing. <sighs> They're trying to blame the union, saying it's the union's fault. The problem is they've, according to records, been upside down for about 20 years. Uh, that, that's, that's not the cause for this. A 99-year-old company, you hate to see this, but with the enormous shortage of truck drivers that we have, there should be jobs. For a big chunk of them, I would think, because everybody oh, yeah. has been screaming they need drivers. Well, here you go. Here's, what is it, I think 33,000 people? Somewhere around that number, yeah. I've seen 
varying reports anywhere from twenty nine thousand to thirty seven thousand, but it's it's somewhere in that neighborhood. The the low thirties, we'll say the low thirty thousands, uh, which is horrible. Don't wish that on anybody. But you have to trace it back, and you have to look at what was going on. There have been problems there for quite some time. Uh, hate to see it, but when we get into this kind of economy, mm, some long-existing problems suddenly become fatal. That that goes along with it, uh, especially you can't when the, paper over the growing cracks anymore. No, no. Once once the garage collapses into the sinkhole, it's kind of hard to ignore at that point. For for starters, you have no place left to park. So. Uh, we see things, and I say all of that to say this, this isn't the last story like this we're going to hear. I'm just bracing you up for it. More of these kind of things are going to start coming out, but it's going to be, again, places that already had some some challenges, already had some things they were trying to work through. Uh And I think everybody running around going, well, it's it's the workers' fault. As some, including some at Yellow, are trying to say, they're trying to claim, um, no, for for a longer answer on that, no, the, the, the facts don't bear up under that. Uh, Mike in Simpson County. See, I already got the temperature discussion. You don't even know, Mike. It's going to get worse. Uh, I've got a new slogan for the climate change people, by the way, I'll be giving you in case you haven't heard it before. And I'm sure you haven't because I made it up. Uh, Mike says, feels like they're exaggerating the temperatures by emphasizing the heat indexes instead of the true temperatures. I have never agreed with a sentence more in my life than the rest of this message on the C Spire text line. It's Mississippi. It's summer, and it's always been brutally hot in July and August. If you're waiting for the cold snap, welcome to Mississippi. Great to have you here. I'm sure they miss you back home in Minnesota, but we don't have cold snaps here. But the wet bulb temperature says that if you can't survive in the shade with unlimited water, if the wet bulb is over 95. Step one, stop licking your bulb. That That's step one in this entire process. And then we can get to the actual facts. I keep seeing that. That's one of those things every, it seems like every other week we have something new that pops up that we're supposed to have known about this entire time. And this is an integral part of the whole discussion. And why haven't you been discussing this? Well, because again, like my slogan I'm about to give you, you just made it up. They and have these are using. the same people that sent out a time lapse video of an ice cream bar melting in the sun of the English countryside over the span of over 30 minutes <laughs> claiming climate change did this. There were several years in a row, and I'm talking late 90s here, where I would drag a microphone out the front door of the station I worked at at the time and fry an egg on the sidewalk. What? How does that work for radio? You could hear the sizzling. <laughs> yeah, it's hot. It's been hot. We're going to talk about that next. Keep it here, middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Middays with Gerard. What? What? This is so awesome. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. Every time I get in the car and head north, I forget this is going to happen to me. Every time. I have an incredible short-term memory problem, obviously. Welcome back. Middays, live in the Element Well Studios. Dave Hughes here on this Tuesday as Rhino continues to pull out. See, now we just need to come up with a whole new theme. It needs to be Trigger Tuesday because you keep triggering me with the bumper music. And I'm flashing back to the 80s now. Thank you for that. Wax on, wax off. So, we were talking about the temperatures, and I started doing this last summer, as I said, on my local show. And I'm doing it again this year. And I'm sure people get tired of hearing about it, but that's kind of the point. Because we keep hearing, we keep being fed this information that we are hotter than we have ever been on this planet. The planet is burning. It's the hottest day in 120,000 years. Did you know last week in Antarctica they recorded the lowest temperature ever recorded on the face of planet Earth? Yep, burning to death. Penguins getting getting crispy. Uh, so I decided last summer, I said, you know what? This is very easy to figure out. We don't have to go by overblown hyperbolic news articles and headlines and pundits and everybody screaming about this. This is real simple. We, we keep records so we can look at the high temperature and compare it to the record high temperature for that day. And if we're not breaking a bunch of records, we are not the hottest we've ever been. Although outside of the Graham Hancock group, I don't think they believe they had records 120,000 years ago. Yeah, probably not. But, you know, recorded history, not to 1979, which is where those claims came from about the hottest ever recorded in the last 40 years. Uh, you go back a little bit further. National Weather Service goes back to the 1800s. I'm sure they, they their bulb was at least moist at that point, if not fully wet. So they were taking accurate measurements. Well, as I tracked this last summer, I believe we had one, maybe two days where we tied a record. And aside from that, the entire summer, we didn't get close. Not going by forecast, because the forecast tends to run a couple of degrees hotter than it actually gets on the thermometer every day. That was the other ludicrous part about that, that big scare that came out. It was the hottest week in recorded history. If you're going by the forecast, yeah. So I tracked it. We, we weren't shattering records. So this year, we're still talking about this because Al Gore needs new furniture. So I started doing it again as we warmed up this summer. Yesterday, and I'm, I'm going with Jackson because it's the midpoint of the state, and this applies more or less across the state. Keep in mind that we are under an excessive heat warning, have been, were yesterday. Not a watch, not a, oh, you might want to get some shade. No, an excessive heat warning. That, that's that been the, the word for it. The high temperature yesterday is recorded at the Jackson International Airport 
98 degrees. About 4 or 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon, got up to 98. The record high temperature for a July 31st at the Jackson Airport was 103. So we were 5 degrees below it. Guess when that record was set at the Jackson Airport location, Rhino? Mm, 74. 1930. Oh, wow, even farther back than that. So the new slogan that I propose, and you, you track this every day, and you see this every day. So the new slogan for climate change, and here's the problem. This won't sell T-shirts. This doesn't get the donations coming in. This doesn't sway the votes. Here is the factual data-based slogan for the climate change movement. We have to do something. It's almost as hot as it's ever been. A hundred years ago, at least. Well, I'm terrified now. How about you? 103 back in 1930. It's a tie, by the way. I gave you the most recent one because it also, according to the National Weather Service, uh, hit 103 in 1896, over 100 years ago. Both of those dates coming before air conditioning. Yes. Picture that. Picture that. By the way, we didn't just invent the heat index. It's always been there. We just started paying attention to it. Uh third place was 102 degrees that Jackson hit in 1986. (sighs) Yesterday was officially, according to the National Weather Service, the fourth hottest July 31st we've ever had. Now, explain to me how that's frightening. Explain to me how scary that is and how that necessitates a change in everybody's behavior in their daily life. It's the fourth hottest it's ever been. You scared now? You terrified? This is what I have found from tracking this all this time. The actual data does not come close to backing up the hype. I mean, have we had... Places? I mean, Phoenix just finished up a solid month where they were over 110 degrees every day. You know, you know, and that is a record, yes. You, you are also aware that <clears throat> Phoenix is in a desert, right? What's the predominant feature of desert? No, not Wiley Coyote. What's the predominant feature of deserts? Extremely hot days and cooler nights. Bingo. So it's not a massive surprise. Uh, the, the, the headline, if you want to rewrite it, is we're in crisis. It's hot in the desert. This is how important semantics are and accuracy to this entire conversation. Number one, everything gets phrased to be as frightening and, and as scary as it possibly can be. And number two, we're not even going by the actual information. We're not. By the way, looking ahead just for fun, uh, the daily records for today in Jackson. Warmest temperature, no tie here, warmest temperature ever recorded in Jackson by the National Weather Service, 104 degrees during that heat wave in 1896. What, 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 what's that? Less than 30 years after the Civil War ended is our record temperature.
102 we uh, hit in Jackson in 2010. 101 in third place was in 1921. 100 degrees back in 1947. So watch your high temperature today. If we get up to 100, it'll again be tied as the fourth hottest August 1st in the history of the city. <laughs> I don't know if we'll sleep tonight. It's, it's not because of the fear. It's not because of the anxiety. It's because the air conditioner's having trouble keeping up like it does every time this year. Every year. <sighs> Thomas, but it's a dry heat. Yes, in the desert, it's a dry heat. That, that, that means you dehydrate that much more quickly. <sighs> yes, exactly, Tim. It'll cool off late October, go down to the upper 80s. Hey, I take upper 80s right now. I'm fine with that. This is every year. I'm, I'm referring to the screaming and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth from the climate people who are making a ton of money off of that, and, and not the temperature, even though it applies to that as well. And the big problem I have with the climate people is they refuse to acknowledge any progress made in the direction they want to go. Yes. I mean, the United States has cut per capita carbon output to levels not seen since before World War II. But that's not enough. And correct me if I'm wrong, but pre-World War II, you didn't have every household averaging two cars. No. You didn't have an AC unit in every single home. But, you know, all of that is immaterial because we now live in a society and live in a world where it is, it's of no value to anyone to get better, to improve it's all or nothing. Everything is all or nothing. Just remember, we have had the headlines about the hottest days ever recorded in the last, what, two weeks. Hottest days ever measured in recorded history. Who's doing your recording? National Weather Service does not agree with you. Apparently, back in 1896, there were a lot of really sweaty people who did not have air conditioning yet. It's hot. But it's not the hottest ever. So, if you would uh, like to walk your little sweaty behind down the street and try to peddle that at somebody else's doorstep, we would appreciate it because we're actually looking at the facts here and we're not buying it. William says, can you compare it to the average daily temperature? Uh, yeah, I can look that up. I can do it. But I'm responding to the headlines we're getting. Attention, adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Josie's on a vacation Welcome back. 
Live in the Element Wealth Studios, Dave Hughes on a Tuesday morning here on Super Talk Mississippi in middays. You know, I, I like, uh, where is it here? Uh, from the 662. And this, this is what I like. C Spire text line is thinking today, Rhino. I like this. So staying warmer later in the year and cooler on into April and May. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, the only way to fix that is to live one of the months over again, and it would straighten things out. For example, we get to the end of August, and we just do August again before we go to September. Then by the time we get to September, we're getting October weather, and things are back the way we remember it. Okay, that makes sense. Now we're getting into the whole argument about why we should change the calendar. Don't drag me down this rabbit hole. I was about to say, wasn't that one of the agreements of the Julian calendar was we would no longer follow lunar cycles and we wouldn't have this problem? Yes. Worked out great, didn't it? Yeah, no, none at all. Uh, William and Brandon, the Democrats want us to turn up our AC to ease up on the power grid. They also want us to go buy electric vehicles, make it make sense. Well, I don't know if you heard, and I heard Paul talk about this this morning. Uh, Ford reported they have lost some several billion dollars on manufacturing electric vehicles. That's a decent amount. This, we're seeing a real problem with some companies and corporations right now. And everybody says they should stay out of politics. I'm not going to 100% agree with that. What I am going to say is this. The basic marketing principle, the, the big one, if you have an existing customer base, you give them what they want. And when they buy it, you give them more of what they want. Then if you figure out something else kind of goes along with that, they're going to want that too. You know they're going to want that too. You do some testing, find out, hey, they do want this too. You offer that as well. We have entered an era, and whether you talk about Hollywood, movie studios, TV studios, whether you talk about corporations, we, we have this group of companies that have decided that it is their job to tell you what you want, not give you what you want. Haven't seen one succeed with that yet you know what the worst selling car the ipod's the only example i can think of yeah but that was a case of telling you you wanted something you didn't know you wanted yet and the success of that kind of led some other people down this mental path of you know oh well i I could just show them this they're gonna love it no Except Bob Iger and Mark Zuckerberg are not Steve Jobs. No, there was one of those. There was one. That was it. What was the worst-selling car in America in the first six months of the year? Did you see this? The the, the Fiat? No, no. It's got to be the Fiat. You would think. It's no. 144 cars. Oh, oh, I got you beat. Got you beat. Oh, no. The Hummer EV. The electric Hummer. Guess how many of those were sold in America from January 1st through June 30th? It's less than 144. 65. Wow. 65 total were sold in America. Now, this to me is is just a, a poster child for what I'm talking about here. And you can take these same concepts and the same idea and apply it to Hollywood. 
Hollywood has gone down the path of telling you what you're going to enjoy for your entertainment. It doesn't work like that. It's never worked like that. Human beings don't work like that. It's never going to work like that. Hummer. I want you to think about the kind of person that would like to own a Hummer. All right? I think of Hummer, I just think of the the one that went viral recently out of Dubai, where the sheik in Dubai had a Hummer H1 built three times the normal size. Yes. It's 21 feet tall. What is it? 46 feet long. Get six Huge. gallons to the mile. Yeah. Uh, and, well, and that's the thing. Hummers are not known for being fuel efficient. No. They're not supposed to be. That's not the point, people. you think they would have learned that with the H3. You would think. Hummer people, people that want a Hummer, people that look at a Hummer and say, mm, like to get me some of that. They They – have a different way of looking at things. They have a different mindset, and they have a different list of wants and needs, and they're fairly specific. They want a big vehicle. They enjoy having that big vehicle and being feeling like they're the biggest thing on the road just about. They enjoy that. And nothing wrong with that. This is not a criticism of that at all. You like what you like. That group could care less about the environmental impact of what they're driving. They, they don't care. And again, not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a fact. So you look at that group and you go, well, you know what those people would really enjoy? An electric vehicle. I think the results are in, and no, as a matter of fact, they would not. But it's another example of a company deciding they're going to tell their already established target market what they're going to like, not giving them what they want. We keep seeing people, we keep seeing companies make this mistake over and over and over. Sooner or later, that's going to come to a head, and eventually the companies that insist on that won't be here anymore. Because I'm sorry, if you're a major automotive brand and you're selling 65 cars in six months, you're not going to make it. You're just not. That doesn't cover a shift at the factory. No. Let alone three. That doesn't cover refilling the snack machine in the break room. The Fiat, by the way, that you were talking about, uh not not even close on the uh the top i believe it's 15 or i should say the bottom 15 selling vehicles uh it was like right in the middle nice little car uh the second worst was the Mazda MX30 third from the bottom was uh the Hyundai Nexo i don't even know what that looks like well it's a hydrogen powered car ah you go through this list and you start to pick up on some trends. And again, it comes back to, I'm not saying that they're a bad idea. I'll go on the record right now. I'd love to have a Tesla. I think they're cool. Just like Hummer people think Hummers are cool. It's a personal preference thing. It's nothing else other than, ooh, space car. That's where my tiny little brain goes. 
But whatever you have for sale, you have to sell it to the people that want it. You don't have to go. You, you don't get to go round up a bunch of people and explain to them this is what you're going to like. Now buy it. Never works. You would think the generation that grew up with baseball cards in the '90s would understand this. <laughs> Just because the one-inch thick Bowman says your Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card is worth a hundred bucks, doesn't mean you're going to find somebody that'll give you a hundred bucks for it, right? That—that's the old um, eBay rule. Yeah, okay, I see what it's priced at. What, what? What's the bid? What's it selling for? What did one of these sell for? I don't. You can put it on there and price it at a million dollars. Great. You sold one for twenty. Well, it's worth twenty. No matter how much you tell people, this is a million-dollar card. Yeah, I, I have a lot of friends that had just stacks and stacks and rooms full of baseball cards. Because, again, the, the, this, this is a two-part thing. The people that collected the cards and bought them for monetary purposes, a lot of people collected them just because they enjoyed collecting them. Good. You got fair return on your value that you gave. But the ones that bought them to try to turn them around and, and just use them as an investment to make money, well, we've seen that fail over and over and over because you miss out on the reason why the original ones became valuable. Because nobody valued them. So most of them got destroyed or thrown away or wadded up or washed in the washing machine or stuck in the spokes of your bicycle ring uh, rim to make a noise as you were riding down the road. Which created actual scarcity. Which created value. Then everybody got interested in it and said, oh, I, I, I want to get in on this. And the baseball card companies realized what their customers wanted and gave it to them and made a mint doing it. That's how business works. If they had told them, oh, no, 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 you don't want this. You don't want this at all. You want something else. Stop buying it. How is that sound business practices? Some people would argue it is. You realize how many trees we're having to cut down to make these cards? Stop buying them. Yeah. Did you bump your head on the way to the staff meeting? Because that makes no sense. We'll continue next here on Super Talk Mississippi. Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, Super Talk Mississippi, live in the Element Wealth Studios. Middays, Dave Hughes here. Got a question we can answer from the ceasefire text line here, Rhino. I can clear this up because it is a little confusing sometimes for folks. Uh, the the question is, Dave, and I think there's a typo here, a different word, so I'm gonna I'm gonna substitute the word. I'm pretty sure they meant, Dave, can I vote in my Republican primary August eighth and still vote Democratic in November? Because local candidates are all Democratic in Clay County. The short answer is yes. Now, 
if you vote Republican in the primary next week and then there is a runoff of some type, you have to continue to vote Republican in the runoff for the primary. The entire primary process, once you pick a side, you're on that side. Once we get to November, all bets are off. That's between you and the touchscreen as to who you vote for. There are no requirements there. So that, that's the short answer to that. And some people still get confused about that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, different states handle it different ways. You know, Louisiana has open primaries. They they take every candidate that qualifies for office and dump them in a giant pile and say, okay, sort through and pick out a couple you like. And then when that result comes in and you got a couple they like, then they put them on the general ballot. You could have two Republicans in the general election. You could have two Democrats. just depends on what everybody picks. So the general election is kind of, in a way, in Louisiana, more like a runoff? Functionally? Kind of, sort of. Yeah. But uh, it does still have all the trappings of a general election. But I can put your mind at ease on that one. I didn't even have to look that one up because I've gotten that question before. And the answer is definitely yes. So you uh, you, you have no problem there. I wonder how many people are going to do that. Every every election cycle, when we see the recorded turnout numbers for primary elections, I always wonder, okay, how well is that going to reflect the way things go in the general election? I don't know if you noticed, by the way, Rhino, we got an election coming up. Nobody's talking about it. It's been oddly quiet. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing going on. There's tumbleweeds. Nothing happening. Nobody's screaming. Nobody's pointing fingers, shaky fingers at that. Uh, it's just very calm and relaxed, as tends to happen, you know. I am going to burn out our sarcasm suppressors on the transmitters if I keep up, so I'm going to have to uh, going to have to back off just a little bit there. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, I think. And notice that that's no comment for or against anybody, any side, any candidate. No, just in general. I'm curious to see, because as you saw with the temperature thing at, at the middle of the hour, I like numbers. I like playing with numbers. Numbers are fun. Numbers are great. Numbers will fool you. You can also use numbers to fool other people. I'm just pointing that out. That's why I'm a big proponent of not necessarily doing away with, but changing the curriculum for upper-level math, especially in high school. Because a lot of times statistics is not required, it's an elective. I think society would be better off if we required statistics instead of, say, Algebra 2 or Trigonometry or anything dealing with calculus, because... You deal with statistics in the real world a lot more than having to figure out the area under a curve. I haven't used the Pythagorean theorem yet since I got out of school. Not once. It hasn't come up. I've never been at the grocery store and had to use that to figure out, you know, how many grains of rice I needed or, you know, the the, the best path to get up to the front of the store to check out in the self-checkout lane with unpaid labor. No, no, I've, I've never used it. But let me ask you this question in response to that right now. Because you're right, I agree with you. Here's my question. So out of the two parties that control everything, one or the other is in control usually, uh, 
Which one of them does it benefit to have a populace that is less easy to fool with numbers? Who's going to be motivated to fix that? I don't see either side really giving a rip. Bingo. But the last thing you do when you're fighting an all-day, every-day war is to cut down on your ammunition. And I'm sorry, that goes back to the climate change thing. You know, if you squint and you realize that we're using a data set that only looks at forecasted highs, not actual measurements, and it only goes back to 79, well, we can say the totally truthful statement that this was the hottest day in recorded history. The statement's true, given the qualifications that they don't really talk about until about eight paragraphs into the story. Does it behoove them to educate the populace to better inform themselves? Of course not. No, they have no incentive to. So you're you're exactly right. I agree with you 100%. It's never going to happen. That's going to happen in the same vote. It'll be an omnibus bill. That and term limits. That's, uh, they're both going to happen all at the same time. Coming up after news from Fox and Super Talk Mississippi News, Garrett McInnes with Accelerate Mississippi joins us here on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Keep it here. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Super Talk Mississippi Live in the Element Wealth Studios. Dave Hughes here, and I am joined in studio now by Garrett McInnes with Accelerate Mississippi. How you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Dave. I really appreciate the opportunity to come chat. Well, you've always got good stuff to talk about, so we always want you in here. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of work to be done, and uh, uh, it's it's exciting to, to talk about how the state of Mississippi is, is trying to get better at preparing people for the world of work. I mean, it's, it's always a good topic to talk about because it's meaningful to everyday people. And, you know, I think our idea of what it means to get people ready to work has changed quite a bit just in the last five to ten years, I think. Unbelievably. Um, you know, the technology that's out there that that is uh, necessary to to perform pretty much any job has dramatically changed. Um, obviously, the pandemic also flipped everything on its head as far as the world of remote work. Um, and and there are challenges that uh, everyday people face that that we as as a as a nation are just not particularly good at addressing. And so there's a lot of opportunity to um, to do good work and and change lives. But to do that. You, you got to know something about it. You got to know what you're doing. Yeah, that's right. So it's a it's a challenge every day to get up and and really dig into how do we as a system recalibrate and find ways to connect people in seamless ways to pathways that get them better livelihoods and provide for their families. Well, and it is a recalibration because not not only is the world changing, and not only are our attitudes toward this changing. 
but it's changing every single day that goes by, it seems like. What you teach them this week may be something different next week, it feels like. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, um, it's you know we have i think as a nation gotten more serious about understanding uh that that we have to get involved with people's lives younger and and sooner to talk about what careers look like what practically is out there and and that's especially relevant in mississippi because we want our people to not only go find good careers we want them to find them right here in mississippi and and that's a in some ways it's a whole separate problem but it is part of the same problem because and what I refer to there is you got to get the companies here to have the jobs available. Where do the companies go? Where they have a workforce that's there, available, and capable of doing the job they need doing. So it's two sides of the same coin. It, it is. It is. We talk to companies every day who are either in Mississippi or are considering Mississippi um, who need more people. They need more people doing very specific jobs. And that's really, if you want to talk broadly about the mandate of our office, and we're only two years old as an office, our mandate is to get more focused as a state on getting people in very specific pathways. Because when you're talking about the the transportation distribution and logistics trade, there are thousands of jobs for truck drivers, for diesel mechanics. These are really good paying jobs. So we've just got to find more effective ways to connect people with the training that will get them those jobs. And that's not just the only sector. We talk about the healthcare sector. They're struggling. They need more people with those skills. Manufacturing, the energy sector. We've got utility line workers that have been doing these magnificent jobs for the last 30 years that are about to retire. There's a lot of them about to retire. So how are we filling that pipeline right now that's going to pay off for the state in the long run? Well, and it is a long game. We're not working to make tomorrow better. We're working to at least keep 10 years from now where we're at at the moment. That's right. And and, and when our office was created, uh, we kind of divide uh, subject matter-wise what we work on in three buckets. Um, but one of those three buckets is horizon thinking. What are we doing today to prepare our people for the jobs that are here five years from now, ten years from now, and beyond? And and one of those things that, that we're doing as a state, and it's not our office, it's collectively as a state, is we've invested a lot in a career coaching strategy, for example, where we're getting in high schools and in some cases middle schools to work one-on-one with students to tell them about the careers that are good, that do pay well, and that exist right here in their own communities. And, you know, I, I love this idea. I absolutely love the concept. And to me, it, it sounds a lot like a pre-apprenticeship in a way. It's, it, you know, there, there's a couple of different facets to it. There's the, the just the general exposure to what's out there. But then you're working with the student to actually remove those barriers, figure out where the training is they're going to need. Get those applications filled out. In some instances, a lot of times, uh, g- finding work-based learning opportunities. So uh, externships or apprenticeships where a high school kid gets to spend his summer seeing what a utility line worker does or seeing what an industrial maintenance technician at Nissan or Toyota does, and then they know, yes, this is something I can be successful at. It, it really um, – we're seeing – the, in, in micro cases, already seeing impacts. We're seeing companies hire directly out of this program. But uh, I think from a macro standpoint, what we're really talking about, um, we're going to impact thousands of students every year, and they're going to be making better post-secondary decisions. 
Well, basically, you're 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 a cartographer. You're trying to draw the clearest map possible between where they're at now and where they need to be to have a fantastic, productive life. That's exactly right. Um, we're we're fortunate that the the legislature uh, increased funding for that this year. We're gonna we're gonna go from uh, two years ago there were twenty career coaches in the state in only six counties, and they were local locally based career coaches. This year we'll have a hundred and eighty approximately in 76 counties in the state, about 80% of the schools in the state. Um, Now, it's not enough. We're going to need more in the long run because um, we still got gaps. But we're talking about impacting thousands of students who otherwise might have dropped out or they might have just gone into general studies because they didn't want to know what they wanted to do and and make better career decisions. That's in the long run economically for our communities, for our state as a whole that's that's a win that's a big opportunity well it is and let me ask you this uh, just just in the two years because we've been fighting this battle for a while i have been a huge proponent of workforce for quite a long time uh, i was talking about it way before it became the cultural conversation mm-hmm. that you know you don't have to go to college to be successful yes that's exactly right do you find that that re-education process is continuing is it just like it was or are we getting a little better in making people understand that there are a lot of options out there that have been frowned on for years i i do think it's getting better i i still think there's a huge opportunity for um growth in how we communicate i mean how do we communicate with students this career coaching thing that's that's one way but are, are we marketing these careers and these training programs effectively are we communicating effectively enough with parents and that's a that's a whole nother conversation but i do think in the last uh decade or so that it has become enough of a discussion topic that people are are really starting to reconsider um maybe the four-year uh school is a good pathway for me but what program at the four-year school is a good pathway that actually leads to meaningful careers well, exactly. It's something that I think where we went wrong, my opinion, my, my uh, totally my opinion. You can just look at me and sneer if you'd like. It's fine, Garrett. Uh, we went wrong when we stopped treating people as individuals, kids as individuals, and started trying to lump them into a group of, oh, well, if you want to succeed, you got to get a four-year degree, and you got to do this, and you got no, no, that doesn't apply to everybody. But for a while there, we tried to make that apply to everybody, and I think we're seeing the problems that can lead to. Yeah, well, and I, I think um, it, it all comes back to, are we being analytical? Are we critically looking at where we're putting money in the educational system, and are we really analyzing the outcomes that come from those programs that we're funding? Uh, that's something that we're tasked with as an office at the state level is to uh, really, again, take a critical look and say, uh, we're, right now we're, we're in year one of a return on investment study of career and technical education in Mississippi. It's going to be a three-year process to do a full uh, analysis of not only do we have the right programs that are aligned with careers at our high school and community college career tech system, but even if we do have the right programs, are they quality enough where people are prepared for those jobs? So I think it all comes back to uh, you've. we have to be more analytical. We have to be more strategic about where we put resources, and then we have to tell people about those opportunities. 
You're singing my song because I have been preaching for a while now that we have become such a process-focused society. We focus on how we're doing something. We should be results-focused. I don't care how it gets done. Get it done. Here's the goal. Here's what we're trying to do. Nobody, no coach goes into a game and says, well, you know... Uh, just, 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 just as long as everybody has a good time, it doesn't matter if we win or lose. Well, you do if you're dealing with, you know, T-ball and beyond that level. No, you've got a goal and you work towards that goal and that's what you have to do. But as you said, that goal, you've got to clearly articulate both the goal and how you reach it before you can. We're talking with uh, Gary McInnes with Accelerate Mississippi. Can you hang around? Absolutely. All right. Well, it's, it's his fault. You heard it. He agreed to it. <laughs> and we will continue on uh, Middays live in the Element Well Studios next. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. The Element Wealth Studios filled with a wealth of information today here on Middays. Dave Hughes here in studio with us, Garrett McInnes from Accelerate Mississippi. And I was telling you during the break, we got a, a, a question on the C Spire text line. I was going to ask you anyway. So it, <laughs> they actually yeah. phrased it better than I would have. So I'm going with uh, Bubba up and Starkville. Said, what qualifies a person to become a career coach, education, experience, et cetera? You mentioned how many more you have now and how many more you need. So yeah. how, how does that happen? Yeah, and, and the, the short story is it, it's a mixed bag. I mean, there are coaches across the state that are phenomenal in this space who come from education they they maybe they were teachers for um years and saw deficiencies in the education space as far as it related to connecting with actual jobs we also have career coaches uh in the state that come from private sector backgrounds and that's phenomenal too because they bring real real world experience Uh, one of the best career coaches in this state is up in Columbus. She was running a rent, an enterprise rent-a-car. And the pandemic hit, and no one was renting cars anymore. And she has turned out to be a fantastic career coach because she knows what it means to expect your employees to go to work every day. Um, so anyway, the long story short is we work with uh, six uh, regional entities to who actually employ these career coaches which is a critical piece these coaches do not work for schools they're not worried about the accountability model or lunch duty or traffic duty they work for community-based organizations who are focused on community growth and who interface with the business and industry that desperately need people and that's huge it's because critical. It's the critical piece. It, it allows the kids uh, several different advantages. I mentioned during the break, uh, they're forming a connection right there, number one, with someone that can help them. But number two, and I think much more importantly, 
this may be for a lot of these kids the first time somebody that when they walk in the room, they know this person knows what they're talking about. They know that this person has some things figured out that they don't have figured out. And for a lot of these kids, it's probably the first time that they have had the undivided attention of someone like that, focusing on helping them and them alone. And that's enormous. It, it's it's amazing. I, I can tell you we hear anecdotal stories on a daily, weekly basis of um, students who were just lost in the crowd and were – on the brink of dropping out of school or choosing to drop out because mom needed help paying the light bill so they needed to go get a job well a career coach has that interaction with them finds them a part-time job and they get to stay enrolled in school and actually find a career path stories like that um they're they're so encouraging from a um from our perspective in our office um, from a micro level, we know this is about the individual students. It is. And I, I would say, again, I'm over here in the cheap seats, uh, but I would say you are providing just as much value with encouragement and inspiration as you are actual information and help. There's no doubt. I mean, it's a it's a balancing act because you do want to – it is about subject matter. Where are you going? Where, what are you going to do and how do you get there? What's the pathway to get there? Um, but, but this is the one person in our high schools who's able to devote one-on-one attention to a student to say, what are your barriers and how do we remove those barriers? What do you want to do? And the follow-up question, why don't you think you can? Right. And then you work from there. And like I said, for a lot of these kids, it's the first time they've been asked those questions. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Which is which is huge. So it's a, it's a fantastic thing. Uh, and, and hopefully this program just continues to expand and explode to to an enormous size because it's needed. That's right. Uh, we, we think that we're on the beginning part of this career coaching strategy for the state of Mississippi. This is not the end. Um, this, this program, this strategy is just maturing. It's just getting to a point where it's reaching the four corners of the state. And so um, this will continue to evolve. It will b- continue to become a more effective strategy as we learn best practices. Well, it's great work. It's a great idea that uh, – Everybody has. I, now, see, here's a misconception. Let's deal with this right here from the 662. Uh, no. Said, does this, does this program only apply to college-age people? It's primarily for high school. Yeah, the, 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 the strategy right now is solely focused on high schools with a little bit of uh, – uh, we have a few coaches that are able to work in middle schools to start working with students. Um, but this is, this is a, a youth-based program of what are we doing when we finish high school? What are we doing in the world of work long term? Or do we want to go straight to work? Here are the good opportunities if you want to go straight to work. If you want to go to a community college, here are the programs that are leading to good outcomes for people uh, in the world of work. If you want to go to four-year school, let's look at all the offerings and, and really hone in on the things that are going to get you the career that works for you but that also pays well. Now, they had a follow-up comment here, the other end of the, the problem here. They say, uh, they say on the C Spire text line, after asking that about college-age people, said, I'm 28. I need to find a good career. Number one, you're not alone, okay? There's a lot of people out there paddling that leaky canoe right now. I get it. Uh, my best advice, and Garrett, you may have something else to add to this, my best advice to you is to go to your closest workforce training center. 
schedule an appointment, walk in, sit down, and they will go over and they will tell you about some things you aren't aware exist as a yeah. career. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say we're, we're developing some tools that will, I think, be really uh, technology tools that are accessible for people uh, that are not quite ready for, for prime time. But I would say, you know, go to your local community college. Everybody's within 30, 30 miles of a, of a local community college campus. But when you talk to them, um, ask them questions like, hey, what employers are you working with? What employers are hiring from your programs, and which programs are you seeing students have career success in? Ask to see the program. Ask to see the equipment. If it's a if it's a, a, a workforce or a, a career tech program, ask to, to physically see what you'll be doing on a daily basis and see if that's something that actually appeals to you that you would want to do um, in the world of work. And exactly. It, you, you, when you hear this advice and you think, well, no, I'm not college age. I'm not. We're not talking about going to college. We're we're not talking about that. Your first step is to figure out what you want to do, where you want to be, and then figure out how to get there. Uh, and there are a lot more paths, I think, than a lot of people realize sometimes. So, your first step is to figure out out of the options that are available, what's the one that just kind of kind of tickles your brain a little bit, and you go, oh, oh, yeah, I, I could do that. And, and I'll also say this. We're actually doing a marketing campaign right now. There's a website called servethesip.com, which actually we've, we have listed a, a short list of high-quality training programs all across the state in our eight ecosystems. And, and so you can actually go on servethesip.com and and look at the programs and some of them are very short term programs some of them may be a little bit longer but if you need to get to work pretty soon that's a good opportunity to go find out about some opportunities and when he says shorter term uh we're talking measured in weeks not measured in months not measured in years weeks that's from right. when you walk in the door and they say okay everybody find a seat to you're done congratulations you're ready for a career yep. you're ready for a job that's right uh, so uh, those options do exist, but that would be my recommendation. And again, uh, our station down in Summit, uh, Super Tall Pike County, where I'm at, our studio is in the Workforce Training uh, Center building on the campus of Southwest Mississippi Community College. I talk to these people. I'm friends with most of these people. I know them all. Uh, I see job fairs happening. I see companies coming in, and they set up something to try to get people to come in, to go to work for them at good-paying jobs. Uh, This isn't hearsay. I see this happen on a very regular basis. Those people and and the ones at all the other workforce training centers are just spectacular at this. And and trust me, they can lay out every option that you possibly have. I'm sorry I'm ignoring you, Garrett, but I had something important to take care of here. Uh, This person from the 662 wanted some advice. That's what I got in stock today, but uh, we we may have more. Servethesip.com. That's right. Yeah, okay. we just uh, we just kind of launched that about uh, a week and a half ago, and and really it's a short term uh, push because we're about to start a new school year. So this is when enrollment's happening. Now's the time to get in line and and start asking about those programs. Exactly. Uh, somebody else asked, "Is this program part of Mississippi Workforce Development?" You're a separate thing, aren't you? Kind of well, tied in. So we we are the Office of Workforce Development. We were created in statute in 2020. Um, and so, I mean, we are the lead office for workforce development, strategy, and deployment for the state of Mississippi. Fantastic. There you go. So that answers your question, Bubba. 
you had an event you wanted to talk about, didn't you? Yeah, briefly. I, we have our, our well, big... I, I tell you what, we're going into the break. If you want to hang on, we'll do a couple of minutes in the in the next segment so we can give it the, the attention it deserves. That'd be perfect. I'm sorry, I drug you way off task here, and we got to talking to people and about everything else that we didn't get to. So I want to make sure we get to that. Garrett McInnes with Accelerate Mississippi in the studio. The extended cut coming up after the break. Keep it here. Today, days with Gerard Gibbert it is on. on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Super Talk Mississippi live in the Element Well Studios on Middays. Dave Hughes in studio with me, Garrett McGinnis from Accelerate Mississippi. Uh, and uh, I, I got off on completely other things, as I tend to do sometimes. Sorry about that, Garrett. Uh, but you've got a big event coming up we need to talk about. Yeah, no, I've, I, um, I'm, I'm really excited. In August 21st through the 24th, it's going to be our second year hosting the Mississippi Horizons Innovation and Strategy Symposium. Uh, this is a, uh, uh, last year we had about 450 people. We're expecting over 500 this year. Uh, it, it's where the workforce system in Mississippi gets to come together and really uh, – it's a working event. We're, we're addressing challenges, um, working on solutions and strategies to get better as a state um, you know, with policy leaders, business and industry, economic developers – the education, uh, the education space, um, even state agency leaders that touch workforce, we're all in the room together. We're working to find ways to improve as a state um, and, and still have registration open. Uh, for those who are interested, we would uh, encourage you to go to AccelerateMS.org backslash MS Horizons, and you can register for that event. That's out in Flowood at the, uh, the refuge now, and I want to make sure that we make this clear because you're talking about people registering. Uh, just anybody? Or, or who are you looking for here? We're looking for, for interested parties who want to be a part of the solution of getting people in better career pathways for Mississippi. Uh, certainly, we we would welcome anyone who has an interest in, in improving the system. But uh, I, I would speak directly to, to business and industry. If you want to know what the workforce development system of Mississippi has to offer you, Come to the event. Meet these partners who are doing incredible work and, and, and learn about how we can help you find the people that you need. And I would assume also that gives you the opportunity to let the Workforce Development Program know what you're looking for and what you need. That is one of the biggest deficiencies, deficiencies we have as, as a state and I would say as a nation is that, that education – and industry don't talk very well to one another. They don't speak the same language. And so w- when we're good as a business and industry group at telling the public sector what we need, generally speaking, the education and training space can deliver. 
It's all about communication, and that's why this event's so important is that we do get everyone in a room together building those relationships, building those partnerships, and finding solutions. It's it's a basic precept of sales. Uh, you don't get what you don't ask for. <laughs> that's right. You know, you've got, you've got to ask for it. That's right. And that seems like it would be a fantastic opportunity for business and industry leaders to show up and go, hey, you know what I really need? Because trust me, the, the folks at this conference, they want to know that information. That's right. Well, and, and, and the theme of this year's event, uh, the overarching theme, is human momentum. And, and I looked up a definition of momentum before I came. is strength or force gained by motion or a series of events. What are we doing as a state to make sure that we're getting strength and force in the hands of our people when it relates to finding better careers? That's where this event, the 21st through the 24th of August, is the Mississippi Horizons event where we're all going to get in the room and make our workforce system better. And that that is the ultimate goal. That's right. Is to make it work better for everybody, for business, for the system itself, but most importantly for the students, mm-hmm. for, for the people that utilize these programs and can see a, a, an almost miraculous change in the outcome of their life. It's, it's a clarity. Do we have a streamlined, effective, focused strategy for getting people as quickly as possible into good careers? 20 years ago, no. I, I'm just being honest here. 20 years ago, we didn't have that. We've well, got that now, and we're building it. Well, we're not there. There's a lot of work to be done, but we're getting better. And it's all about what is the, the ideal condition, what's the current condition, and how do we get to the, closer to the ideal condition every single day? See, you're being results-focused, and it's just making me all happy inside. I love it. It's, we constantly are taking a critical look at what we're doing to find a way to make things better. If anybody has any questions, and I mean, I like the one we got on the text line earlier. Uh, if you have any specific questions about your situation, uh, first step is to contact your local workforce development center. That's right. Um, but but our contact information for Accelerate Mississippi, we're, we're available to answer questions, make connections. We have ecosystem coordinators that live in our communities across the state. So if you go to AccelerateMS.org, you can find the contact information for your local ecosystem coordinator on our team that can help you find whatever partner it is that you need. And that's the focus. So reach out. Uh, there, There's an opportunity waiting for you. And the, the really fun part is a lot of times it's not the opportunity you expect it to be. A lot of times it's better because you didn't know about it until they helped you find it. A person will never pursue a career they don't know about. Every time. I've noticed that. Every time. People never go into the line of work they, that nobody told them existed. Yep. I've been asked that before in my life and doing little side gigs and things back years ago. Uh, my ex-wife used to ask me all the time when a check would show up in the mailbox. She's like, this is a job? Somebody will pay you to do this? Yes. There's all sorts of opportunities out there, but you have to know about them. And that's what you guys are doing. Great work. Keep it up. Appreciate the uh, the time to come talk. Anytime. I'm sorry to keep you longer than we expected, but I used up all your time earlier, so I felt it was only fair. You know, Enjoyed it. Garrett McGinnis uh, with Accelerate Mississippi. Uh, the event, one more time, coming up the 21st. I think 21st through the 24th of August is the Mississippi Horizons event. You can find it on our website at AccelerateMS.org. Just go over to the website, uh, business and industry especially. Uh, find the time to go over there because it's going to help you. It's going to help a lot of people looking for something to do, and it's going to help the state because it's the old rising tide rule again. 
Amen. You're a good water pump. I gotta tell you, 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 you got a talent for this, Garrett. That's not bad. Uh, and come back and keep us updated on this. Be happy to. And keep yeah. us updated on how this is going and anything we can do to help. We are there. Thank you. Appreciate it. Dave. Just just let us know anytime. Uh, you know, I was talking about that, uh, Rhino. And I, I I would be willing to bet you have had a similar experience at times where somebody looks at you and says, "That's a job." Oh yeah. Yeah. It's amazing the variety of things that you can do and make a really comfortable living at and and have a satisfying career that most people don't even know it exists. And and that's, that's, I think, probably the biggest function that you're performing. Yeah, I think helping people find those options. That's fantastic. I absolutely love it. Uh, We... uh, by the way, just on our conversation from last hour, I'm just going to drag him into it because we got a minute or so left. Uh, Garrett, or is it hot right now? Uh, yes. Okay. I there was, we go. I was at the Neshoba County Fair last week. Oh, oh yeah, you know. It's always hot. Yeah, well, and that's that's the thing that we keep coming back to. Uh, it's it's always hot. It's, it's August in Mississippi. What were you expecting? That's, that's the way we look at it. Uh, coming up at the top of the hour, we've got Douglas Carswell. He'll be joining us with the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. He wrote a cracker of an article uh, over in the London Times. And we're going to talk about that because I suspect that a lot of eyebrows went up when people read that over in England. I, I, I would suspect over in London a lot of people went, what? when they read it, but it's the truth. And we're going to talk to Douglas about it. I always enjoy having Douglas in here and talking to him. Uh, Smart guy. And I'm not only saying that because I saw him pass by the window in the green room, so I know he's listening. I, I, I would say that if he wasn't here. We were talking about that earlier, actually, I think. Uh, so, yeah. Douglas Carswell coming up right after the top of the hour, uh, and we will be discussing that. Uh, we will be discussing also... You know, we, we talk about careers. Part of that is shifting careers, and sometimes that means leaving one job to take another one. Uh, some people have come up with a unique new way to leave their job. This is taking off. Do you know what Cameo is, Rhino? You mean like the system where you can pay a celebrity to sing happy birthday to your friend or something? Yes. People are using that to quit their jobs. <laughs> they are literally finding these little C and D and Q list celebrities and paying them 20 bucks for them to record a video talking to their boss saying, hey, just want to let you know he's out of here. <laughs> he wanted me to tell you. Uh, I saw one, one report. One guy did this and got the video back. I didn't even recognize the name of the person that he paid 30 bucks for this this video. Uh and he didn't just send it to his boss in an email. No, he dropped it in the middle of a Zoom staff meeting. Just dropped it in, hit play, and logged out. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a different world. Yeah, what, The way you thought things always worked, well, they don't quite work that way anymore because now you could have Snooky tell your boss you're leaving. It's a little more dramatic than the quiet quitting. I would like to pause for just a moment and acknowledge the fact that that may be the first time in the history of humanity, thousands and thousands of years, that anyone has said the sentence I just said. You could have Snooky quit your job for you. Nobody's ever said that. Hopefully nobody will ever say it again. Now that I think about it, actually. Uh, 
Stick around. We've got. Oh, we gotta. We gotta check the news. We gotta keep an eye out because we may get a notification at some point before we're done here, Rhino, about possible uh, grand jury action today. I thought you were gonna say superconductors. Well, no, no. That's the third hour. That's that's a. We're not quite there yet. Give us a minute, and then we'll get to the superconductor. Don't get me started on that. Don't get me started on that. Okay, fine. We'll get started on that. We'll mention that when we come back here on Super Talk Mississippi Live in the Element Wealth Studios. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. The Element Well Studios Middays. Dave Hughes here. Rhino mentioned right before the break superconductors, so this is all his fault. I would just like to make that perfectly clear. I will not be held responsible for the following conversation, but this is a great example of how going just one step down the rabbit hole can lead to something interesting. Let me explain. So he mentioned that, and I said, well, let me go see if there are any updates on this. In case you didn't hear, a few days ago, at the end of last week, there was a scientific team in South Korea that announced they had developed a material that acted as a room temperature, room pressure superconductor. Superconductors are the key to a lot of things, including a fusion reactor, which is the process that happens inside the sun to generate all that energy. It could mean a revolution in energy. Immediately, everybody ran forward and said, you know, crazy. Doesn't exist. We've already had one previously, somebody claimed, and then we got and and looked into it, and no, it wasn't. Just released this morning, a team at the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory in California has published a paper uh, supporting the new material that came out of South Korea, saying that, yeah, it, so at first glance, it looks like they did it. Now, this would mean huge advances in, what, everything right now? Oh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, from transportation and energy production to something as simple as connecting two parts that need to move in conjunction without having to worry about any lubrication. Yeah, no friction because superconductors are not just, actually touching. Yeah, holding them apart. There's just air between them. I think the uh, the simplest and easiest to understand explanation would be if these superconductors that are superconductive at room temperature and room pressure can be scaled, you're looking at actual hoverboards. Actual everything. A battery smaller than your pinky nail on your finger uh, powering your house. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but that's the kind of thing we're talking about here if this holds up. So it's been a big topic of scientific discussion for about a week now, uh, and they are now starting to issue some other things. But this took me one step down the rabbit hole. Have you ever heard of Polymarket? No. No. Yeah, me either. And then I stumbled across this. 
poly markets, you can they 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 set up. It's basically prop bets for the real world, not sports. <laughs> They have one. Is the room temperature superconductor real? Sixty-four uh, percent of the people are saying no right now. And and to weigh in on this, you have to put money in. So they're putting their money where their opinion is. Uh, will the U.S. confirm that aliens exist by August thirty-first? Ninety-eight. No. By the way, on that. Uh, and they've got all sorts of stuff. The the women's World Cup. Uh, when will North Korea have a nuclear weapon? It's a fun little thing, but is this not, you know, indicative of how we're operating now mentally as a society and emotionally? Got to gamify everything. Everything has to be a game. This goes back to the conversation on the climate. We keep hearing all the yelling. We keep hearing all of the discussion and all of the, the hoopla, if I can, you know, invoke a little French. Uh, it's it's all scary and horrible and the end of times and catastrophic until you start looking at the actual unfiltered numbers, as we did earlier. But we're not interested in that. It seems like we're not interested in facts in a lot of cases because we're told we're not interested in facts, and we go along with it because – you can get addicted to being outraged. You can get addicted to being upset and being keyed up and ready to go off like a like a powder keg. Yeah, that that's addictive. It's a rush. You get endorphins from it. There are a lot of people that know that. Sites like this are a great example of that, because if that mechanism didn't exist, if that's not how human psychology worked, this site would have nobody on it. they got tens of thousands of people making bets on some of the stupidest stuff you've ever seen. They're doing prop bets on by which date you think Sweden will join NATO. Well, that's not outrage. That's just somebody bored. I mean, it's happening. So I'm not sure. Now, speaking of that, then you have another type of person that whether it's positive, whether it's negative, they're just going to give you the facts and you can deal with it or not. And if it ruffles your feathers, well, you probably needed some preening time anyway. And one of those people will be in the studio right after the news from Fox and Super Talk Mississippi News. Douglas Carswell joins us always. A joy and a pleasure to have him in the studio. And, oh, did as I said, he wrote a cracker of an article for the London Times. We're going to talk about that and a lot of other stuff when we come back on Super Talk Mississippi Live in the Element Wealth Studios. Keep it here. And now, and now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. Hour number three of Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Dave Hughes live in the Element Well studio. 
And joined now by the president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, Douglas Carswell, joins us. How are you today, Douglas? Hello, Dave. I'm great. It's you, lovely to be here. You always walk in so happy and chipper. Well, I'm in Mississippi. That's why I'm happy. It is the greatest state in the greatest republic in human history. And, you know, I, I've teased it a couple of times. You basically just wrote an article to the effect that not only is it the greatest state in America, but economically it's better than England. Yeah, I was I was getting a little bit fed up with all my British friends, bless them, back in the old country, who still take this slightly condescending view about Mississippi. And and I, I, I thought I'm going to do something about this. So I did a little bit of research and I looked into the numbers and I discovered some really quite staggering facts. So Were you surprised? I, I, by what you found out? I was, because in Mississippi, people have been so browbeaten into thinking they're 50th out of 50, they're the last, the bottom of the class. Actually, if you look at the math, things are looking pretty different. For example, the average output per person in Mississippi, the, the amount of economic activity, if you like, in Mississippi per person, is now higher than that in the United Kingdom for the first time ever. The uh, economists call it the per capita GDP in Mississippi is over $47,000. In the UK, it's a mere $45,000. We are more prosperous than the UK. And, and not only that, the UK has basically stagnated for 15 years. People in Britain are not much wealthier than they were 15 years ago. Here in Mississippi, incomes have gone up by about 20-25% in five or six years. Now, I think what's really interesting is not just that Mississippi is more prosperous than the UK. Mississippi is actually doing quite well compared to other bits of America. And and the reason I really wanted to point this out in my article in The Times, and incidentally, it's annoyed all the right people over back in Britain. Um, the reason I really wanted to publish it is because why? Mississippi has started to do free market things. We have cut tax. The, the largest cut in tax in Mississippi's recent history, flat 4%. Long may we keep doing that. Hopefully we will eliminate the personal income tax altogether. Um, the number of people on the public payroll, in other words, the number of people living at the taxpayer's expense in Mississippi is down. In the past 10 years, it's gone down from about 650 people per 10,000 population down to about 600. Really fascinatingly, in the current political contests taking place across the state i i note with marvel how different politicians are competing with each other to see who can claim to have reduced the public payroll fastest it's wonderful labor market deregulation mississippi passed two years ago a wonderful bill that the governor signed into law that makes it easier for outsiders to come here and by implication it reduces the uh, amount of regulation and red tape on people in various occupations in mississippi this is starting to pay off and that, that, by the way, I would like to point out, and this happens this way a lot in my experience, all of this good information came about in this fantastic research that you've done because somebody got under your skin. Yes, I got annoyed, so, I got annoyed with Brits telling me that somehow moving from London to Mississippi was anything other than a step up. I know it's a step up. And I wanted to prove to them that actually the quality of life is better here. The economic outlook is better. The economic opportunities. And bluntly, my 14-year-old daughter is going to have better life chances being in Mississippi than virtually anywhere else. Well, and that's the thing that we lose sight of. And, and might I add, and I may be speaking out of turn because I have not been to London. You obviously have. You've lived there forever. Uh, but I, I would feel comfortable saying that also, in addition to all the economic benefits and everything else, we've got much better food. 
Yeah, no, definitely. But the thing, no, okay. I, I, the thing I love about Mississippi food is you can eat food from around the world here. I mean, yes. I came here thinking Southern cuisine. I really got into it. I love it. Who, who doesn't like, you know, uh, fried chicken on waffles at eight o'clock in the morning? But I also discovered that you can eat some of the best Thai food I've ever tasted at Tuk Tuk Boom. Some of the I, I was eating some Indian food the other day from a gentleman who, like me, was an immigrant. You can eat good food from around the world here. But, you know, the reason why Mississippi is beginning to be a great success story and the UK is not, bless their heart, as I think you say in Mississippi, is because here in Mississippi, people are doing free market things. In Britain, they're doing the opposite. They're raising taxes. They're giving politicians more control. They're regulating. And they're doing exactly the opposite things that we're doing here in Mississippi. And it does bring up the question, why? Because it's not like we're in uncharted territory here. This is the way it works. I think everybody is aware of this from all the lessons throughout history. The more you regulate, the more you tax people, the more you bear down like that, the worse things wind up becoming, don't they? Dave, we know that in our heads, but in our hearts, and you've got to remember – you know, we evolved in, uh, you know, evolutionary biology means we have an outlook where the idea of free trade seems counterintuitive. The idea that actually you get more prosperous by buying from people you don't know um, seems counterintuitive. The idea that actually if you get rid of deregulations, it'll, it, the world will be safer. It, it, it seems co- so contrary to what we think of as common sense. So, yes, we know in our heads that the free market works, but politicians often appeal to our base instincts. How often do you hear a politician, for example, in the current climate, saying that if only we trusted more federal intervention, they would save the rural hospitals? Now, you know and I know that no amount of federal funding is going to resolve some of the healthcare problems here in Mississippi. Just, I, I love, by the way, you just walk in here and immediately kick the top off the fire ant mound, but go ahead. Well, well, why not? Um, but, you know, you, you've got to you've got to, I think, recognize that every generation of Americans, as Ronald Reagan beautifully put it, you know, we're not born thinking about the free market. Every generation of Americans needs to be retaught these values. And th- that is why America has been such a success, because one generation has passed them on to the next. And what we do at the Mississippi Center for Public Policy is make sure that the next generation of young Mississippians is educated to understand that it's the free market, it's cutting taxes and less government that is going to be the key to our success. If we want the next generation of young Mississippians to stay in Mississippi, not to go to Nashville in Tennessee or Austin in Texas, let's have the same tax rate they have in Tennessee and Texas. Zero personal income tax. That, that that makes a lot of sense, which may be a part of the problem with the suggestion. <laughs> Let's be honest, Douglas. That's the way it goes back to what you were saying. It's kind of the way it works. It's counterintuitive yeah. to some people. It is, but, you know, no, no one's perfect. Politicians around the world are prone to the same temptations and the same base instincts. But I have to say, I think partly because the decisions are made so locally in a, a state of three million people, I think in, in Mississippi, more public policy decisions are made the right way than in many other centralized, more populous, less happy countries. And you know, California and the United Kingdom are two brilliant examples of large centralized states that are run by um, you know, economic lunatics who are destroying wealth in their, in their respective uh, polities. 
This is the difference, and this is why I love having Douglas here. I was just going to say crazy people. He said economic lunatics. That sounds so much fancier and well-educated. I was just going to say crazy people. Same, I, same I had thing to, kind of applies. I had to bite my tongue. I was about to say something else, but then I suddenly thought it might not sound very polite in America. Well, that's kind of the way it works sometimes, though. Sometimes you 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 know you have to call an apple an apple. and, and uh, I was going to call them something other than apple, but oh, oh, this I, is a family I, show. I can well imagine. Uh, but, uh, again, sometimes it's deserved, especially when they have annoyed you to the point where you start doing research <laughs> for fun. That's usually a sign that they've got some name-calling coming, I would think. Yeah, yeah. So you said you've gotten some reaction to that article where you pointed this out. Yeah, I mean, obviously it appeared in the Times, and lots of people read the Times, and it, it has an impact. I mean, weirdly, lots of people have got in touch. The most bizarre example was, for example, um, India has a TV uh, version of the BBC, and I wasn't previously uh, aware of it, and they got in touch with me um, and said, could I do an interview? So I did an interview about the Mississippi miracle um, on television in India. Apparently they have more people watching than watch CNN and the BBC combined, which given the number of people in India is perhaps no surprise. Anyway, it was wonderful to be able to explain to Indians how Mississippi is the future. You don't expect that, do you? Well, <laughs> to get that call from India and say, hey, we really want to interview you, Douglas Carswell, about Mississippi in India. Well, I, it's, it, being in the Times, I think, means people take it rather seriously. Perhaps being in the Times is the equivalent of having an English accent. People tend to think you know what you're talking about. But um, Well, anyway. it, it, it allows you to use phrases like economic lunatics, which I'm still impressed by. So, yeah. I, I was talking about the governor of California. Uh, well, well, it's, it's you're kind of saying the the loud part out loud instead of the quiet yeah. part there. I think we were, we would all be in agreement with that. Talking about that though, and we're about to come up on a break. When we come back, you've got something else, and I actually chuckled all the way through this uh, because you have weighed in on the whole thing that Ben and Jerry's came up with for the Fourth of July. Which was the most ridiculous, over-the-top, ludicrous example of woke mindset I have ever seen. Mm. And uh, they got pretty well put in their place, I think. But you had some thoughts on that, and I'd love to to get into that with you when we come Looking back. Looking forward to it. Douglas Carswell, president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy and one of the rising stars in Indian television. And we will continue <laughs> with Douglas right after this. Super Talk Mississippi. Again, in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi, Dave Hughes, 
Douglas Carswell, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, uh, 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 turning out to be a big proponent of Mississippi worldwide. We can say that now, Douglas. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, you're, you're like our state's influencer now in other countries. Well, quite right. Quite right. I gotta love it. Uh, and also, uh, has a bone to pick with both Ben and Jerry because, well, they, I know this is gonna surprise you. You might want to get close to your fainting couch in case the blood rushes out of your head when I tell you this breaking news. They said something stupid again. They're really good at that. They keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, the the latest thing they did was I, I just find deeply offensive. Look, I, I, I'm a new arrival to your country. Um, I've only been in America for, I think, three July 4ths. And the thing that really strikes me about July 4th is what a celebration it is. It's not just a celebration because you beat the Brits, right? It's a celebration, whatever your background, however you got here, however your ancestors got here, you're celebrating the fact that you're here. It's one of those great occasions that brings everyone together. And yet they chose that day to send out the most gratuitously offensive tweet saying that America was built on stolen indigenous land. And to me, this is just so breathtakingly obnoxious. Not only do I not buy their product anymore, but it made me sort of really take issue with it. And I wrote an article basically saying this is preposterous. This is nonsense. I mean, for a start, the idea that America is built on stolen indigenous land, when the first settlers arrived here, the indigenous tribes were busy stealing land off one another. I mean, it's also obnoxious because, stop and think about it, there is not a single person living on the planet today whose ancestors were exactly where they're living. And there's a continuous line going back to the dawn of time. Humans have been moving around. The idea that you have a claim on your ancestral homeland is preposterous. As, as an ancestral Scot, should I claim north of England because some people came from over the, overseas as immigrants and once pushed my ancestors out? It, it's ridiculous. It's preposterous. It's also hypocritical because, you know, as a, a, a local um, Indian uh, Native American, I suppose one, one should call them, a representative in Vermont said that, you know, that Ben and Jerry's uh, factory site itself was on land that <laughs> had once been occupied by his ancestors. So it's, it's, it's vacuous and divisive. But I think the really interesting question is, why do companies do this? Why do companies go woke? Now, I'd originally thought, when, when Bud Light famously went woke, I had assumed that a whole bunch of really clever MBAs had looked at the data and figured out this is the way to sell more beer. But actually, I think woke is not a sign of corporate wisdom. It's a sign of vacuousness. The people running the corporation or the institution or the university who go woke have run out of any original insights. It's all they've got left. It's a sort of it's a it's how dumb people try to look smart. You you present a kind of woke narrative and a woke agenda. And I, I, I think it's a, a, a sign of a woke corporation that's lost its way. It's certainly well, lost its customer. And I, I think this speaks to something we were talking about earlier in the show, back in the uh, the ten o'clock hour. Uh, you, we seem to have a group of corporations and entertainment companies and everything else that have lost sight of the most basic principle in marketing, which is give your market what they want. Mm-hmm. If you want to improve on that, give it to them better, give it to them faster, give it to them with better quality. But now we have this group that has decided that the way forward is to tell their market what they're going to want, and now you take it. 
it's not working for anybody, and that's kind of obvious. I mean, I, I think part of it is quite low-grade, third-rate people in the advertising business think that by grabbing attention like a small child in the playground, you know, who, who hasn't quite worked out how to make friends, you think if you can get attention, you you will somehow be liked. And I, I think that the people who market some of these products simply haven't worked this out. Um, creating, drawing attention to themselves is not the same as securing sales. But I... I I also think perhaps that 20 years of woke HR departments in corporate America mean we've now got to the stage where there are quite a number of quite senior people now in institutions and corporations and universities who have reached quite senior positions and are pretty mediocre. And we've now got to the stage where that mediocrity can no longer be concealed. And we're starting to see it. We're starting to see um, a number of institutions in, in the UK. There's been a recent scandal, a banking scandal, over a, a, a bank making judgments about private citizens' political views and deciding whether or not to deny them banking services on that basis. I, I think this is indicative of how woke HR has allowed a lot of mediocrity to float to the top, whereas, frankly, it shouldn't have been hired in the first place. Well, the the liberal mindset, and, and tell me if you think this would be a fair statement, uh, a lot of the problems with the woke ideology, uh, as it's being referred to with, with the liberal mindset, is uh, anti-winner. There should not be a winner, and we should not acknowledge when somebody wins. And this goes back to the whole land thing. Uh, yeah, that land used to belong to somebody else. Before that, it belonged to somebody else. The spoils go to but the winner. Even then, I would take issue with the sense of belonging. I mean, the idea of property rights yeah, you're is, right. is you're associated right. with sedentary communities that have adopted farming. And many indigenous American communities lived a hunter-gatherer, Stone Age lifestyle. And the notion of uh, ownership of the land was not what you and I would regard as ownership of the land. So I, I, would, I would take issue with that. And I think it's really important to to to, to, to make that point. Um, I, I think a lot of people are woke because they don't really... I mean, this is maybe a controversial thing to say, so I'm going to say it. But I, I wonder if woke is basically becoming a religion for people who don't have religion. It's a belief system and a virtue system that allows people who don't really believe in anything. G.K. Chesterton once famously said that if you stop believing in God, you don't believe in nothing. You believe in anything. And I think we're starting to see that with woke. You believe in these sort of mad ideas. Totally. You know, we, we assumed that once people had... Um, somehow abandoned religion they would become rational actually what we're seeing is irrationality the idea that you can become a woman simply by declaring yourself to be a woman there's a lot of sort of anti-science wrapped up in their belief system it is a form of religious belief for people who don't have faith and it, it's quite a destructive uh, religious system because it doesn't have the notion of redemption it doesn't have the notion of virtue it doesn't have the notion of grace um they no platform these new Puritans, they know platform people who don't conform with the dogmas that they preach. So it's, if it is to be compared with a religion, it's a very destructive uh, new type of secular religion. I think you're exactly right. And to me, anyway, that's not very controversial. I know there are some people that would, you know, like to take a swing at both of us for having this conversation, but I think it's the truth. But I do go back, and even in that case, you're talking about there's no redemption, there's no grace, there, there, there's no chance for any of that to these people. And to me, that again speaks back to there should be no winners. Winners should be punished if you succeed, if 
you amass more money than somebody else does, or you have land that used to belong to somebody else, or you've achieved this or achieved that, well, you shouldn't do that because well, it's not fair. I mean, they certainly don't believe in meritocracy, but I do think there are winners under the woke ideology. I can't help noticing that a lot of the people who preach the woke creed happen to live in very big houses. Those who preach to us about climate change often travel around the world in private jets and descend off them to hector the rest of us about whether or not we should use our car. So I I, I think woke does have winners, but they are the high priests of this new secular religion. It's um, it's a very destructive force in America. It's a kind of um, secular puritanism that risks tearing the country apart. And I, I, I think it needs to be confronted and recognized as this r- very destructive and ultimately sterile belief system. Do you think we will? I think so, yes. I mean, I see encouraging signs. It's tempting to think of the younger generation as woke, and I think actually it doesn't help to categorize them as that at all. I think there are signs that amongst younger people, they're starting to call out some of these absurdities. What what, what you need for good, honest people to speak up is the knowledge that they won't be punished for speaking up. So we need to make sure we have authentic free speech on public universities in Mississippi. We need to make sure that it is possible for people to say, no, a man cannot become a woman by simply declaring themselves to be a woman. That it should be possible for me to go onto social media and to say that XX chromosomes does not equal XY chromosomes. It should be possible to say these things. Once you can say that the emperor has no clothes, the full gross nudity of this vile ideology will be revealed. And now we're on to gross nudity. Right? <laughs> now, this, this has been a whale of a, of a conversation here. I like this. Uh, but you're exactly right. And, and that's uh, – it's the, the monkey riding the elephant in the room. We've got to get rid of the monkey and knock him off before yeah. we can even discuss the elephant in the room. Well, whenever you see woke mobs get their way, what's so striking is not that you get some young people who believe in delusions. That happens throughout history. It's that people in authority, university administrators, people in charge of companies cave into them. That is what needs to change. Well, and in part, I'm sorry, and going back to what you were talking about with the people living in their really nice houses, yeah. preaching how bad it is to have a really nice house. Well, to uh, quote the TV show Breaking Bad and several other movies, uh, yeah, well, it's not never a good business to get high on your own supply. <laughs> I love that show. Yeah. When, when is Netflix going to make something that good again? Uh, probably never. That show was incredible. Better Call Saul was the only other show that I think compares to it. I haven't seen that one yet. We're about to start oh, that. You've got gonna... to. That is, that, is, that is probably my all-time favorite TV show. Douglas Carswell, can you stick around a minute? I'd love to. We interrupt this program... Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back. Super Talk Mississippi live in the Element Well Studios. Dave Hughes on Middays with Douglas Carswell, the Mississippi Center for Public Policy president and CEO. We were talking right before we came back on the air. Uh, this is your first official Mississippi election since you moved here, isn't it? It is the first kind of full statewide cycle, yeah. 
Yeah, well, what what are your thoughts? What are your impressions of it, yeah, especially compared to what you went through in London and in England? Well, one of the things that most strikes me about politics in Mississippi is the extent to which the people you vote for can actually deliver change. Ordinary members of the House and the Senate can introduce bills, and if they can get enough people in the House to, to support it, it becomes law. And I think that's something that in the UK, people have, have lost sight of. As a member of parliament in Britain for 12 years, I was only, I think, on three occasions ever able to introduce primary legislation, and even that was sort of watered down. So I, I think Mississippi has a wonderful system. You, you, you know these people. You're familiar with them. They're not a remote cast of professional politicians like you get in D.C. I, I love the fact that a sizable chunk of the Mississippi state legislature lives in campus during the three months that it sits. They're ordinary folk who have ordinary jobs and they do their role as a lawmaker and then go back to, to that. You've got citizen lawmakers and that, that's wonderful. I also love the fact that actually a lot of politics in Mississippi is becoming a contest to do the right thing, to cut taxes, to reduce the public payroll. And I think this is something that really needs to be to be encouraged. Um, you know, Milton Friedman, who was 111 yesterday, had he still been with us, it would have been his 111th birthday. He once famously said, the job of a think tank like the Mississippi Center for Public Policy should be to make sure that even the wrong people end up having to do the right thing. And that's what we want from our politicians. Even people who are perhaps not your choice. They've got to cut taxes. They've got to keep government small. They've got to be accountable to the people. Well, and that's the thing that I think we lose sight of sometimes. Uh, despite the continuous evidence placed in front of us, your guy doesn't always win, and you're going to have to work with the winner. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the point. The founding fathers and the people who drafted the Mississippi Constitution came up with a rather wonderful system. Like in the Roman Republic, you have these competing, what the Romans would call magistrates, competing elected officials. And so there's not really a monopoly of power. There's, there's an inbuilt tension between whoever's in the governor's mansion and who's ever, whoever's presiding over the Senate as lieutenant governor. You've got a built-in tension between the two houses. You've got you know, an independently elected state auditor. Th- this is a great system because it means that power is, is spread out. Even, even if you've got a slam dunk of Republicans elected to all the eight statewide offices, you have this natural tension between the different offices. And that is a very, very good thing. So Mississippi election compared to elections over in England, more or less shouting? (laughs) Um, One of the things I love about living in a country with a First Amendment is you can't restrict free speech. And this means that politicians are free to advertise. In in the UK, tragically, you have state-backed laws against advertising politically, which, of course, favors the incumbents. Here, you don't have that. You've got this great debate taking place in Mississippi at the moment. I, I love listening to some of the candidates, and instantly I've signed up to get all the emails and the texts from all of the candidates. Not not because I support them, I, I, I'm not allowed to vote, but because I love hearing what they're saying. And it's it's Sometimes Mississippi politics is quite raw. Sometimes it's quite direct, um, quite quite blunt sometimes, but it's authentic. And that's important, I think. And, and I, I think that speaks to one of the reasons why we've made the improvements we've made. And you were able to write that article for The Times pointing out that. And I'm just going to phrase it this way. We're better than England. <laughs> well, 
I think you're absolutely right when you say that it is the ability of local people to elect politicians in Mississippi to do things differently that explains why Mississippi is getting better. We're not just hearing from politicians about waiting on the federal dollar. The solutions to Mississippi's problems don't come from D.C. The problems come from Washington. The, the way to fix this state is to have a governor who continues, as he's done, to cut taxes, to have a lieutenant governor who continues to reduce the number of public employees. Imagine if they were actually to authentically embrace school choice, to give every family in Mississippi control over their child's share of tax dollars. They're doing it in Arkansas. Imagine if we were to have full income tax elimination. You know, that's what we need to try and get the, the people standing for office from whatever party to do. Think we'll get there? In time, yes. Um, my biggest objective is to give every family in Mississippi control over their child's share of tax dollars. Why? Because you're only ever going to raise standards in Mississippi's education system, and you're only ever going to fundamentally stop the woke agenda in the education system if you give mum and dad control. If you give every mum and dad the freedom to take their tax dollars to any school in the, in the state, public or private or, or indeed homeschool. If you did that, you wouldn't just see a dramatic improvement in education standards, which is great for the kids growing up and wanting to get jobs. You would also change the political culture in Mississippi. So you would knock stone dead the gradual encroachment of woke ideology into the public space. And we need to do that. Sounds an awful lot like you're trying to turn the uh, the government and the education system into the free market to me. I think what we need to do is actually go back to what education should be. Education should be teaching people how to think. Woke ideology has made education an indoctrination in what to think. And I think one of the extraordinary things about education is given that the average child spends something like sort of nine, ten years in a state system, what a bad job it does. And I think this has brought home to a lot of mums and dads during COVID. During COVID, you could see what your child was supposedly being taught. And it, it suddenly dawned on people that actually the productive instruction taking place is probably 10 or 15 minutes a day. Um, and, and, and a lot of what is being taught is not productive and is not instructive. And I think that that almost radicalized a lot of mums and dads into wanting to return education back to what it was supposed to be. I think you're exactly right. Uh, there, There is nothing more transformative than pulling the covers away and yeah. exposing it to the light of day. Yeah. Interestingly, talking about digging into research and writing articles that annoy people, I did a bit of research into claims that education standards in Mississippi have dramatically improved. And actually, I could find no evidence of this. In fact, the benchmark that everyone cites showed, if anything, a slight deterioration in reading rates amongst, I think, third and fourth graders. The reason why everyone was trumpeting this as a success is, number one, because they run the system and they want to be seen to be successful. But number two, the reason why they were trumpeting this success is because standards had fallen in Mississippi, but they had fallen even further and faster in other states. So there was a lot of kind of, I, I think, deceptive citing of statistics. If mums and dads realized that actually kids are not getting a great education and if they could see beyond the pretense statistics that are presented to them by the people who run the system they would start to demand what mums and dads in arkansas have demanded and for goodness sake if the razorbacks can do it we can do it if the razorbacks can give every child in the state control over or the mums and dads of every child in the state control over their money we can do it here 
Well, as the old expression goes, there's three types of uh, lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. <laughs> That's the three, <laughs> because statistics, you can twist to mean anything you want it to mean. Mm-hmm. And that gets us in trouble sometimes, but mm-hmm. we'll get there. Uh, we're about out of time. I just want to make sure that you know about this, uh, because we were talking about Breaking Bad. You were talking about Better Call Saul. Did you know there's a part in the middle? No. There was a movie called El Camino. Oh, yes. No, I've seen that. Okay, okay. Seen I, that. We're about to watch that. That's next uh, on the list. I won't I won't give away the plot, but um, it's that is what entertainment should be. It is It is pure entertainment. No ideology, no wokeness, just sheer joy to watch. Which is really odd when you consider we're talking about an entire entertainment property dealing with drug dealers. But, <laughs> but here we are. The weird thing about all three of those shows is you end up actually wanting the bad guys to get away with it. And that's what's kind of slightly disturbing about it, actually. I don't know if it says anything about us as people <laughs> or, or what, but it wasn't just us. So that's the good news. Douglas, always enjoy talking to Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I always feel like when we get done that we could go for another three hours. If you want to do that, if you want me back on your show, let me know. I'd love to. Anytime. You are welcome. Anytime you'd like to come in here. Thanks, I'm, I'm sure we'll tick somebody off before we're done you got to have a hobby as you heard his hobby is annoying people a lot of times by doing his homework but uh, good job and uh let us know uh exactly when your first bollywood feature is coming out we want to make sure and promote it for you over here India's rising media star, I'm telling you, Douglas Carswell. I should never have mentioned that. Well, yeah, I've got to, I've got to use this forever now. Every time I see you, Douglas, I'm going to mention this and ask how the career's going over there. Uh, final segment of the show on this Tuesday, on the way right after this, in the Element Well Studios, live on Middays. Beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Blue lights flashing in my rear view. The sheriff said, boy, I should have known it was you. In the back of this truck, I warned you twice, and now I'm riding you up. I said, Officer, what have I done? He smiled and said, Boy, you're having too much fun. Welcome back, Super Talk, Mississippi Live in the Element Wealth Studios on Middays. Dave Hughes here, final segment, and uh, then we're done for the day, Rhino. This went fast. Time flies when you're having fun. It usually does go fast when I'm up here and and we're, you know, causing problems, which pretty much seems to be my hobby. I I know Douglas thinks that's his hobby. I may have him edged out on this. 
I, I am a fount of problems on, on most given days. Uh, I haven't seen any information. And honestly, you know, they've been talking about that new indictments are going to come out against uh, former President Trump uh, from Georgia, where I guess you saw Rudy Giuliani made the uh, legal filing and said, uh, by the way, the, the, all that stuff we were saying about uh, – about the two workers that uh, were stuffing the ballot boxes and everything? Uh, yeah, that was a lie. Moving on! So, yeah, that's not helpful to the cause at all. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be today. I honestly kind of expect next week. And here's why I say that. The only DA in America named Fanny, uh, Fanny Willis, who is the Fulton County DA, uh, she's the one in charge of, of everything going on, including the grand jury over there that's that's investigating all this and has been. Uh, she has said that all the work is done. She said that over the weekend, all the work is done. We're through. We're we're fin- we're ready. We're ready to go. That's a direct quote. We're ready to go. But she also sent a letter to the presiding judge at the Fulton County Courthouse and asked him not to schedule any trials at the courthouse for the weeks of August 7th and the 14th. That ain't this week. Now, it could happen Thursday, and then we she's trying to deal with the arraignment. She figures it's going to be somewhere around in here, so it could still happen this week. But everybody, of course, has dropped one wing and is running in a circle right now. It could be today. Well, it's going to happen when it happens. I think the biggest question left is, will we hit triple digits on the number of indictments against former President Trump? What's the over-under on that, Rhino? Uh, about 42. We're, we're, uh, you know, we're well on our way. We actually, I think he has 71 different charges right now against him. So 29 away from hitting the magic 100. Uh Meanwhile, I'm waiting to see what the new version, the new spin on the story is about Hunter from the White House, because uh, let me let me see if I've got the timeline right. Uh, The president, Joe Biden, never had any conversations with Hunter about his business, never even talked about it, never knew anything about it, had nothing to do with it. We went from that to, well, he talked to him about it a little bit. You know, as a father, what with the son? I don't see what the problem here is, but he had no involvement in it whatsoever. He never spoke to anybody on his son's behalf. Now we're to, well, yeah, maybe he talked to a few guys. Just a couple of guys. But it was only about the weather. Yeah, just, uh, just oh, oh, hi, how you doing? How's the weather there? So once you have a pattern of behavior... At what point are you willfully just ignoring that there's a problem? Now, here's my question. That sentence, which one of those two candidates for president am I referring to? I don't care if you're mad. I I asked a question. Which one of those does it refer to, but not the other one? I have seen a bit of a souring from the Trump camp over the fact that his PAC is spending all their money on legal fees, and he likes to tout his personal wealth. Yes, and continues fundraising. I don't know if you saw one PAC 
requested a $60 million refund from the Super PAC. Do you see that? So now they're giving refunds on PAC donations there. Every once in a while, sometimes the best thing to do when you're trying to draw a picture, you're doing some art, uh, eventually you make a little mistake, and then you try to correct that, and it makes a bigger mistake. And then you try to correct that, and another mistake. And then all of a sudden the pen makes a blob over here on this side. And before you know it, you look down, and it's a mess. Sometimes the only thing you can do is to reach down, rip it out, wad the whole thing up, throw it away, and start over. Are we headed in that direction? Some people saying, yeah. Well, that's a problem for next year, Right? We don't have to worry about that quite yet. Enjoyed it as always, Rhino. Take care of yourself. I'm going to try. We'll have to do it again soon. Yes, definitely. Anytime. Anytime. We'll get Douglas back in here and we'll we'll talk more about, you know, Walter White. Have a good day. See you soon, my friend. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.